Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Albuverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping, coming smooth. Jumping, and the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the latest Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. Zach Albaverde and Graham Hall here, and we are going to preview the Sanford game on Saturday, but still a lot to talk about from this coaching fallout, what it means for this program, what it's meant for the team this week at practice, and how it could carry into Saturday as the Gators roll out a new interim defensive coordinator, the offensive line, and if they can try to turn this season around after a three-game losing streak, Gators now below 500, and uh, they have an opportunity to get back on track Saturday against Sanford Graham. As we talked about Tuesday, a lot to play for still. This team cannot think that the season is lost because part of the reason these moves were made is to salvage what remains. Because, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news for any Florida fans thinking that this is as low as it gets, but there's another SEC game on the horizon. And an in-state rivalry game. And then you have to go recruit against those teams, SEC teams, in-state rivals. Well, and recruiting against other SEC teams isn't going so well right now for Florida. It's not. But that's part of what they could still salvage getting some momentum late in the season, possibly adding other hires. I mean, a win over Florida State at this point is mandatory. That that has to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would probably be the low point. If you lose at Missouri and then lose at home to FSU, then the conversation for Dan Mullen being next up, I think, is reopened if if it has even closed right now. I think that you start looking at, hey, does this team... Do they even want to play for this guy moving forward? And you know what? Because we're even talking like this, Graham, that just goes to show you like how far this thing has progressed and how these players can already be looking ahead to the future, to the end of the season, what it could mean for them, what it could mean for this team and the staff. And like it's so hard to maybe even try to focus on the game Saturday against Sanford, especially given the fact that they're an inferior opponent. And, hey, I mean – They've lost three games in a row. You would think that they would get up for this knowing that they want to get a win. But there's so much going on. There's so many distractions. There's so many things for them to be concerned about right now and in their future that we'll see what their focus is like because they haven't been able to lock in in these previous weeks. Yeah, Dan Mullen said we'll have to see what the response is like. But you would think getting back at home for the first game in over a month. Yep. And we saw often that this team really wants to play for Christian Robinson. We saw a resounding, I think, amount of support for him throughout the week. Not and, just for his... And not just like guys like, oh, we're excited for him. Like yeah. they, There were some comments that was like, he's really winning these guys over. Yeah, and it wasn't just on social media. It was from Mahmoud Diabate, who said, 
I, I think really has developed a reputation for being frank and honest with the media. Yeah, just like when I asked him about the port and he was like, hey, if guys leave, I'll support them. I mean, that's that's kind of that frankness that, you know, you appreciate because so many guys, they're not telling the truth. Let's call it that. I don't want to say anyone's lying here, but there's some things you just can't say in response to questions. You can't say, oh, it's on the scheme. It's on the coaches. It's not on me. You should be, as the media, asking questions to my superiors. And Diabate has done that. After the LSU game said we were in position where our coaches put us. So if he comes out there this week and then says, hey, Christian Robinson's a real one. I have no doubt in my mind that he can get this thing turned around. We want to play for him. You have to think that that has some merit here because until they prove otherwise, I think that they've earned the trust to believe that what they're saying is is true and i really what stood out to me was when he mentioned you know younger players are pulling me aside saying man i like c rob yeah and i think that that youth that he has as much as that is a concern from a play calling standpoint from his coaching style i think that the players are really going to respond to that particularly the younger ones in contrast to what Todd Grantham and his coaching style was like. So I think that you're already seeing some benefits of that. I think Dan Mullen was banking on switching things up with his staff to potentially bring that to the table. And Mike Celine on the offensive line, the graduate assistant, a younger guy coaching up that group with Dan Mullen, I think he's hoping that that can also kind of provide a spark on that side of the ball. So we'll see what happens. But as we talked about on the Swampcast Graham, and we didn't really mention this earlier in the week because we were just kind of giving out candidates. And I do think Dan Mullen is going to go hire somebody. And he kind of, I think he kind of alluded to that in his press conference on Monday with just how he mentioned the way that this search is going to go. But I wouldn't put it past him to potentially give Christian Robinson a co-DC tag if he does well enough with this interim role these final three regular season games and potentially the bowl game because I do think Dan values him on this staff because of what he can do from a recruiting standpoint and he has been part of this defense for so long and while there does need to be some change from this scheme I think that having some type of a holdover in a guy like Christian Robinson is a possibility if it makes sense and the co-DC would be willing to work with him now hey he might go out and just hire a defensive coordinator outright that wants to bring in his own staff but I do think Christian Robinson has an opportunity here to somewhat audition for some type of a role moving forward I'm with you there because I think there is more importance put on the coach player relationship right now than there ever has been because more than winning more than playing time even having a relationship with a coach who you can trust to put you in the right situation and that you want to play for is becoming, I think, a premium with the transfer portal and it becoming just more of a business type aspect of college football more than this, hey, listen, we're in this thing together for X amount of years. Let's make it work. So a guy like Christian Robinson who has been here and they can believe wants to get the thing fixed with them as well rather than someone possibly coming in here with a lot personally to gain who could rise to the coaching ranks and maybe use this as a stopgap to go somewhere else, spring to the NFL, be division coach elsewhere, you name it, maybe that's not what is going to be best for this team's immediate turnaround. I think that 
we've seen a lot of the talk recently about scheme and recruiting, but just having a coach that can connect with players and make them want to play for them is, I think, an undervalued aspect, or it was until yeah, recently. And it's been lacking, obviously. I, I would say so, because, you know, this is clearly a sign that Dan Mullen is realizing that. The promoting GAs, former players like Christian Robinson, who have played in the SEC and... Are closer in age to these players. Exactly. I think that is a realization by Dan Mullen's part, that these business relationships need to be personal in a sense for these players. And maybe also a sign that he might go a little bit younger with these hires of whoever he does bring in and might not hire someone in their 60s like some of the candidates that have been mentioned. So we'll see. If he does bring in somebody solely to run the defense and it's his deal and he kind of gives him the control that Grantham had, then it might be a veteran guy. So a lot of directions that this thing can go, but we'll see what Christian Robinson can do with his opportunity on Saturday when we come back from this first break. Graham and I will talk about what we want to see personnel-wise from the players, guys that we want to see on the field, not just to start the game, but to end the game, and what the Gators need to do to start building for the future. We'll be right back after this break. This is Gainesville Sun Sports Editor Arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida Athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. And from the defensive side of things, I do think maybe you're going to see some personnel changes, Graham. And we'll get into those and what Christian Robinson and Paul Pascaloni might be trying to do there as far as shaking up the lineup. But we got to start with the offensive side of the ball and the quarterback position. Yes, there's been a change on the offensive line, but I don't think you're going to see much of a change in terms of that lineup. And I think from a coaching standpoint, you better hope that there's not much of a drop-off because John Hevesy did, I think, bring some stability there in terms of knowing the system and the assignments. Now, the recruiting is what's been lacking, and this is the opportunity to get a lot of those young offensive linemen to start to develop their game. But from the quarterback standpoint, another loss on Emory Jones, another game where he had multiple turnovers, and I know that it was on the defense as to why they ultimately took the L. But because of how bad of a loss that it was, the fact that he has still not won a game on the road starting in the SEC, and that Dave Mullen has already made the decision once to go with Anthony Richardson, I think that 
the decisions that he's been making from a coaching standpoint now need to carry over into the personnel changes that he's looking to make. And while we're going to see maybe some new players starting on defense, I think it's time to see some new players getting involved on offense. And that starts with Anthony Richardson. I think, Graham, if he's healthy and has been able to practice this week, he needs to get the nod on Saturday, and you need to start building for the future with him against Sanford. Yeah, we talked about this earlier in the week that he was kind of limping around there after he hurt his knee dancing in the team hotel prior to the game at South Carolina. Dan Mullen kind of gave a we'll see earlier in the week, but then said he expects him to play on Saturday against Samford. My thinking is, I think you're going to see both quarterbacks. I don't think that's a bold take for anyone to make out there, but I think you have to give Anthony Richardson more playing time if he is available to play. Even if he's not 100%, he is not going to redshirt. He's hopefully going to be set up to be the starting quarterback for this team next year. If you're Dan Mullen, that would be your plan. And you have to start getting him meaningful reps and playing against a team that he's going to go out there and be designed to beat and can rebuild his confidence. Because I think that's kind of been shaken after that Georgia game and, and the multiple injuries that he's had this season. You really have to give him a chance to go out there and win a game as your quarterback so he can believe that you believe in him to do that. I think Emory Jones will be used again, but it's Samford. No disrespect to them. Anthony Richardson should be getting double-digit snaps for this team as long as he's healthy enough to go out there. Yeah, and I think if we're staying in the backfield, the guys lining up next to Anthony Richardson or Emory Jones, hand them the ball, man. Let's see Florida run it again and establish that because they've completely gotten away from it in the last four or five games and had a season-low 82 yards rushing at South Carolina. And it starts with Damian Pierce, like feed him the rock. And he's certainly deserved it with the limited opportunities that he's gotten, but even the way that he carried himself in the media this week and that he spoke for the team and spoke for the players and spoke for Damon and his staff and put out some positive messages that I think that they needed. I mean, give him carries just for that alone and some of the comments that he made. So I think that that is the way that they got to start things going in the right direction. And it's not just him. You need to feed Naquan Wright. You need to feed Malik Davis because clearly they've been struggling in the passing game. And I think if you go with Anthony Richardson, yes, you might be able to open it up more and have some more success that's not been there with Emory, but it starts with the run game, and they got to establish that first and foremost. I'm with you. I understand you have two guys in there in Malik Davis and Damian Pierce that you look at as senior leaders on this team, and how can you disrespect one by propping up the other one? I totally can understand how they may see it that way, but this is a time where Damian Pierce has clearly been the better back, especially at what this offensive line is good at. And again, we're no experts here, but this is just how it looks to us watching the game. Maybe Dan Mullen sees something differently, but Malik Davis really hasn't been as effective this season as I think many people were hoping that he could be or as of late at back least. there. And he wasn't really being used in the slot like we thought that they may be using him in there as a pass catching back, even though he, you know, he had a hundred yard receiving game last year. We haven't really seen that enough to warrant him having a high usage. So I really think that, you know, Damian Pierce is a guy that you gotta go out there and let him run the ball ten to at least thirteen, fourteen times and establish himself. And I think you made this point a little bit earlier. Let him have multiple drives to get going to be effective and give a chance to prove himself and and if he's ineffective of course pull him and go for someone else there's older guys 
in that backfield. Lorenzo Lingard, I think a lot of people forget, is the oldest well, one in that room. And you mentioned him. Like, this is the day and this is the game where Lingard and Bowman need to see the field and need to get opportunities to play. And Florida offensively needs to put together the touchdown drives and build the lead to facilitate that. And if they can't do that against Samford, like that is going to be a huge concern. And if you can't establish the run with your top backs, find a way to avoid turnovers and play a clean football game, like, hey, they might not get an opportunity to play a bunch of backups in the third and fourth quarter. This game could still be a two-score, maybe even three-score game until we get late into the third, early into the fourth. I don't know what to expect from this team on Saturday. I do know that there are some guys that need to play more, and they do need to start building for the future, like the fans like to call it the youth movement. Like, let's go. It's time to do it now. And this is the team where you should be able to do it against. You don't need to wait until the third or fourth quarter to play some of these younger players. They should be able to go out there and compete at this point in the season, this late, and contribute in the first half and be able to have successful plays against opponent like Stanford. Yeah, Dan Mullen needs to, I think, start developing his signees with in-game action. And if there really, I think, has been a knock on the development, it's of guys that he has signed as of late here. So I really think there's no excuse against this team. We've seen him sign multiple five-star guys that are going to be, I think, crucial in this defense next year. Derek Wingo, you know, Jervon Dexter, I think, is at an up-and-down season. Having those guys build significant reps, 30, 40 reps on Saturday, I think is huge Mm -hmm. for them. And you talk about Jason Marshall. He's a guy that we saw, I think, really, really early on this season, along with Avery Helm. And really, those guys have kind of disappeared as of late for the Gators. They have a chance, I think, to regain some of not only the momentum that they had early on in the season, but also show that they're much more capable defensive backs. I know a lot of people were talking about Kyer Elam being a potential first-round NFL draft pick. I got to say, I think he's kind of just had a really a slightly above average season here. If I'm Kyer Elam, I'm thinking also I have a whole lot to play for if this really is my last season in college. I kind of have a chance to change the narrative still here with three games left on the schedule. You would think that a lot of these younger guys want a chance to do that on Saturday against an inferior opponent. And what we hear a lot, or what we, I guess, assume a lot is that a lot of times they can't play some of these younger players because it is an SEC matchup. And because of the stage right. and how important the game is and the fact that Florida might not be able to build a lead that they need to put the guys in the game that they can rely on the most. But this is one of those opponents and one of those matchups where you can't afford to mix it up and give some of these younger guys an opportunity. So we'll see if we see on Saturday when we come back from this final break, Graham and I will give you our score prediction. We really don't have any X factors because – no disrespect to Samford, but it's Samford. Florida doesn't need any X-Factors in this game. They should just line up and beat the crap out of this team. I kind of wanted to pick the Florida crowd as an X-Factor. Shoot. Because, you know, show how much faith you really have. Oh, how much man. do you really want to see a Dan Mullen coached program here in November? Maybe because of the coaching changes, they'll get more fans to show up than they would have had they not made those. But you make it a spring game if there's only 40,000 people there. I mean, does Samford get a little momentum from that? Are we going to have a repeat Georgia Southern Furman situation? I, I don't mean, think it'll be that oh, bad. Man. But uh, Florida's definitely got a lot to work through on Saturday. And Graham and I will give our predictions when we come back from this break.
USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here, and as we get you guys ready for Saturday, we usually give our X-Factors. I think given the state of this season and given the opponent, there aren't really any for Florida because they just got to come out and uh, find a way to win a game. And there's so much that factors into that when you consider all the coaching changes that are happening, where this team's confidence is at coming off of a three-game losing streak, and the fact that they just haven't been able to put together a clean, consistent performance. So there's so many areas that we can point at right now, but I don't really expect it to be necessarily a clean game or Florida to come out and just put it on them. I think it's going to take a while for them to get the type of momentum that they need to build on Saturday. I mean, I, I'm not expecting a loss, but I, I would not be surprised if it's going into halftime and people are like, oh. I think it's certainly possible. You could have a lukewarm performance, let's call it that. A nooner? I mean, a nooner, first one back in the swamp. And I, I may feel like, fool me six times, shame on me here, but I'm actually expecting Florida to cover in this game. 31 and a half is the line for the Gators. And I think that I think they're just barely going to cover. Let me say that. <laughs> but I do think that they're going to score and I think that you're going to see a lot of rushing. I think you're going to see th- 300 yards rushing. Do you think they're going to score 40? Yes. 40 burger. Yes. I think what's going to leave a sour taste in the mouths of fans is that Florida's defense is going to give up some points. <laughs> to a team that's, like you said, not an SEC team. The Samford offense from some sauces, I'm hearing they're not half bad. No, they got a pretty good passing attack. And if there's any confusion in Florida's defense, in the secondary, in the front seven. With a some brand new guys running the show? With, yeah, new communication. It is absolutely possible that the Gators give up not one, but maybe two touchdowns. So with that being said, I'm going Florida 48, Samford 13. Mm. I'm I'm with you on the score. I think that Samford is going to get 13 as well. Uh, I don't think that it'll be two touchdowns. And I don't necessarily know if 
a lot of those points will come against the starting defense, whatever that starting defense looks like, because I do think we'll see some potential lineup changes maybe. Maybe some new guys that get to go with the first team, we'll see. But I do think that because of how this game should play out, that you're you're going to get some backups in there. And I think that because they haven't had a chance to get a lot of experience this season, many of those backups might give up a field goal drive or a scoring drive, just like they did against Georgia. That late touchdown run that they had in the fourth quarter, that was against all backups that Florida had in the game. So those guys need this experience on Saturday, and they need to find a way to get out there and get some stops. But I do think that they'll also give up some points. Now for Florida, I am very intrigued to see how much they can score. You mentioned 48. I don't know if they'll get there. I think that they're going to be right around that 40-point mark. Uh, I think they'll score a touchdown less than you predicted. I'm going 41 to 13, but I wouldn't even be surprised if they go under that. But I'm, I'm just, more than anything, they need to find a way to get back to their identity. And early in this year, it was running the ball and using your dual-threat quarterbacks as well, and they just have come out kind of firing and, and trying to force the pass a little bit, and that's clearly not their strong suit based on the recent results. And the other key, I think, here is escape this game without any further injury because we talked about how it could still get worse. Listen, fans are not going to remember that you beat Samford by 25-plus points if it came at the expense of keeping offensive linemen starting DBs in the game in the third, fourth quarter so that you could cover yeah. that game and then possibly risk guys going down when you still have two, I think, now big games left on the horizon that really are going to leave an impression on people's minds Yeah, how you're going to close it, the season. And you mentioned Kyrie Loom. I think that obviously he's been playing hurt. That's factored into it. But yeah, I mean, he and those other starters, they need to come out and be able to pitch a shutout in the first two quarters so that they can sit at the end of the first half and certainly all of the second half, like that's the type of game that this should be. So we'll see if that's how it plays out. But that's certainly not the only thing happening on campus this weekend. The Florida men's basketball team opened their season this week, and then they have a huge rivalry matchup on Sunday in Exact Tech Arena against Florida State. Mike White going for his first win over the Seminoles still in his tenure here. And this Florida basketball team, a lot of new faces. They've gotten this thing kicked off now with some new transfers, and I think this is their opportunity here early in the season to try and get a statement win and kind of put their stamp on this program early on. This has got to be the earliest in the Mike White tenure that the Gators have faced FSU. I mean, the last matchup, for those who forgot, was December 4th, and the Gators had a double-digit lead in that game before Keontae Johnson collapsed in Tallahassee, and the Seminoles did eventually pick up the win, although and, that was inconsequential there. And, and it usually happens around Florida, Florida State Week. Yeah, it usually is later in the season, so we can get it all together. And now, you know, two weeks out from that football game, this is, I think, a really an early opportunity for, I think, this Florida team to take advantage of it a seminal team that really is adding some new pieces two highly touted freshmen, some transfers as well for that team. And you're a Florida team with some more experience. Although you mentioned Mike white being and six against FSU in his time here. This is a huge one because it's also your first test against a ranked opponent. The Seminoles being ranked number 20 in the AP poll. So you don't think it would have been better for Florida to play them in a couple of weeks? You think this actually maybe works to their advantage that they get them earlier than they typically do? I think so, because you're talking about a little lack of cohesion at FSU, I think, 
before this team really has gelled. And we've seen that in years past. The Gators have had a chance to take advantage of some teams early in the season before they really hit their stride. And and that was kind of true with FSU in a couple of recent years where FSU escaped with narrow victories. And then later in the year, they're a, a Final Four contending team, Elite Eight uh, birth team. So I think that really with this Florida team here, they have to rely on their veterans. Remember, they have four guys, 22 and older, who are playing consistent roles in this rotation here, if not starters outright. So they have a chance to really take advantage of that maturity against a younger FSU team. And being at home on Sunday is a huge thing for Mike White's team. We talked on Tuesday about the first opening game victory over Elon University, and now Florida has a chance to keep the winning ways going against an in-state rival. And that would definitely be the way that they want to get this season started, Graham. So we'll see if that can happen on Sunday. We'll see if the Gators can get back to their winning ways on Saturday in the Swamp. We'll be back with you guys next week to see how it all played out. Make sure you follow all of our coverage on Gatorsports.com, and we'll be back with you guys next week to get you ready for the final SEC game for the Gators on their schedule, a road trip to Missouri. The Gators trying to get a win for the first time on the road in SEC play this season. So we'll be back with you guys on Monday for Graham Hall. I'm Zach Albuverde.